Hello friends, how are you? My name is Colm and this is the Sober Mess podcast and you're very welcome. Today I am absolutely chuffed to be joined by my good friend Connor Coslo. Connor is an Ironman, having competed in many an Ironman, smashed the Wicklow 200, done numerous amount of amounts of marathons and long endurance races swims cycles everything you can think of but what i've respect this guy the most for is that he's celebrating five years sober today and i couldn't adore this guy any more than i do so connor how are you man (laughs) thank you that's a that's a very nice introduction Ah, Um, well deserved (laughs) yeah no it's been good yeah yeah it's been a it's been a nice a nice day today as well. A good way to, to spend the celebrations, you know, getting out for a nice run with yourself up in the up in the trails in the Hellfire Club there. Magic. So uh yeah, it's nice uh, uh the way I like to do things today are you know, are, are very beneficial to both physical health and mental health as well. So um but yeah, feeling good today. It's it's mad how things change when you get sober. Like yeah. your your Friday Saturday nights change to like Saturday mornings, and <laughs> you know it. And it's weird, man, how we start to notice these things like nature. Like I I used to never see nature when I was drinking, and because I just didn't. I was so in my head, so full of fear and anxiety, and so I was worrying and in my head all the time. Yeah. And then when I started to get sober, I started to see things like, well, was that tree always in my front garden? You know, <laughs> yeah. were them stars always up there, you know? And, yeah. and even like appreciating sunrises and sunsets, because you'd always associate like a sunrise coming, you know, you're leaving a session, the fear is coming on you, you know, you're coming down off whatever you've been on. Yeah. And just a reminder that it's time to go back to reality. I was like, oh, you know, the hairs stand back on back of your head. Yeah. But man, now you're sober, you know, you see a sunrise and it's it's celebrating the start of a new day. And I, I know that sounds woo-woo, man, but like, I don't know why, why wh- what, wh- what's the reason for getting such a, like, a, a, a connection to nature and an attraction to nature but it's like one of the I suppose one of the, the, the one of the highlights for my recovery was just having nature there and, and using it as a, a source of energy and yeah. just enjoyment now that I'm sober like it's it's amazing yeah and I, I 100% agree with the, the nature aspect as well because like it was when I first got sober actually I think my first 18 months I found really, really difficult. Like it was really, really challenging. Obviously, because you have to deal with all this kind of, you're kind of having to adjust to a new way of life, you know, and you're getting rid of something that used to give you that bit of escape and now you don't have an escape anymore. And um, for the first 18 months, it was very like, I was just kind of isolated myself, you know, I didn't really go out much and, you know, I stayed just, I was just by myself a lot of the time, you know, and that was really difficult. And then when lockdown happened, so I think I was about 18 months sober when, when that happened. And just before lockdown, like like a week before lockdown, I had managed to buy a bike actually. And I was just, and a pair of runners as well. Nice. So nice. I was very well equipped yeah. now for lockdown. <laughs> and uh, I remember that was like the best buy I've ever had because like I was cycling then all the time outside. I was going out for runs and um, I loved it. And I just noticed then once I started doing that stuff and I started getting out in, into nature, um, I just realized like that I had some sort of connection with life now yeah. and I had something to kind of like live for now. And I was just like, it was such a big turning point for me was when lockdown happened and I was kind of almost forced to go out into nature then. And then when I was out there and I was actually seeing a lot of, I remember you were then doing, you were quite active on, on Instagram as well. And, you know, I knew you had a big connection with nature as well and getting outside and keeping feet outdoors and stuff like that, you know, and uh, it just opened this whole new world to me. And I loved it. And it, it, it like like I, I spoke about before, you know, it gave me a purpose then. And I just remember, I luckily, luckily I live in Wicklow, which is known as the Garden of Ireland. Ooh. So I could get on the bike and get out for a spin all over Wicklow. And uh, I'd come back and I'd just feel amazing, you know, and then I'd run around. I'm lucky enough to, to live in Greystones as well. I love you. I love you. Yeah. Seaside town yes. and go for little runs around around Greystones and get in for a swim in the sea. And it just started doing so much for me. You know, it, mm. it literally like, you know, brought me from such a dark place and then put me into the light. And, yeah. you know, uh, so nature's a big, a big thing for me today. That's powerful, man. I love that when you like, you find like 
nature and running as like a coping mechanism like yeah. a healthy coping mechanism and yeah lockdown like i think in lockdown you either made the most of life or you, you kind of let it be like i get on top of you like you know i heard someone say you know four types of people came out of lockdown you know you either became a a, a monk a hunk a chunk or a drunk <laughs> <laughs> but you're talking about like the darkness and the light yeah. bring us bring us a bit on your story man tell us a bit of that and how you made that transcend yeah yeah so i guess going back to like you know early early teens when i first started drinking i think i first got first got locked uh at 13 and um you know i remember i remember really being so fixated on that experience because before that i would have had a lot of insecurity issues and a lot of low self-esteem and i was a i was a serious worrier like i used to worry all the time about everything as a kid growing up like the smallest thing would happen and i would just think of the absolute worst possible outcomes that could that could happen and i'd be so fixated on those things you know and that would happen to me a lot growing up um so i was always suffering with all these different things like low self-esteem insecurities no, not feeling, not feeling good enough. Always wishing I was somebody else. Always wishing that you know I was the, like the cool person in 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 school, or you know I was the sporty person, or I was the funny person, or you know always wishing I was somebody else. I never wanted to be who I you know in my own skin. And um, eventually, then at that thirteen, I found uh, something that helped me feel a bit happier, which was alcohol you know and uh i remember just loving it that, that first experience and i was with like a group of people that i was in school with and i just remember feeling so liked i felt like they all like loved me you know and uh i was i was able to be i was able to kind of crack these jokes with confidence you know and i was able to you know just be someone that i always wanted to be through this substance and um, so naturally i was gravitated towards that then and then you know as time went on you know all i cared about then was was drinking essentially and you know going out with the lads and stuff like that um as kind of time gets goes on like you know drugs starts getting thrown into the mix then and um that happened i think there was head shops open um there was actually one in Dunleary. i remember that we used to go to and we used to get stuff there and it's mad how that stuff was was legal at the yeah, time yeah. do you remember yeah yeah but we we uh <laughs> It's so yeah, it's only bath salts. What are you talking about? Yeah. Like, that's what just marked. Yeah. Bath salts. <laughs> I know. Yeah, just uh, yeah, it, it was pure madness. Yeah. But um, I remember then, for yeah, as, as time went on and I left school and stuff like that, I didn't have any ambitions. You know, I didn't really want to. You know, like I didn't want to go down a career path. You know, I was kind of pushed into. Uh, my parents were big on you know you, like why, why don't you go to college and get a degree and stuff like that like it'd be really important and i tried that that like that didn't really work out at the time so i was you know i didn't really have any interests and the only interest i had was was going was 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 drinking and partying um and it was the only thing that like it was the only hobby that i had you know um so i was doing that and a lot and it was getting me into a lot of trouble as well you know there's a lot of trouble following at the time and um i eventually you know like things were just getting quite bad and you know always just struggling in life you know always not having like not having much things to live for and not having any hobbies and just drinking on weekends and just getting hammered all all the time and, and consequences as, as a result of that never having any money you know and always feeling very lost and as time went on i just got fed up anyway and I eventually decided to come into into recovery. I tried recovery a couple of times. I tried going to meetings for a while. I was going to AA meetings um, and I would get sober for like three months and then I'd go back out and I'd go back out even harder than, you know, I pretty much picked off where, where, where I left off before. Um, then I'd come back in, my tails between my legs and I'd get a bit better for about two months. You know, I'd, I'd stay off for two months and I'd get a gym membership and I'd be trying... Uh, all these things to keep me sober and then all of a sudden i'd go back out again and you know it was a repetitive cycle for about a year of that mm. and um eventually then uh things got so bad that you know, i started to realize that it was just a bottomless pit you know i just kept falling down this you know and this dark hole and i just kept going further and further and further what do you think was the thing that kept bringing you back and yeah. like when you knew that 
yeah, like it wasn't serving you. What do you think it was that kept leading you back to using again? There's a few factors, I'd say. I'd say there's like, there, there's a few. Obviously, like the main thing would be, um, you know, my head, my head would start bringing me back to those, to that place because, because I still had all these insecurities and, you know, I still didn't feel very connected with the world or connected with life, you know, um, and I couldn't sit with myself, you know? So when I started to get a bit, like a bit sober, I get away from all that for a bit. I just couldn't sit with myself, you know? I just feel so uncomfortable in my own skin. And uh, I just find life so mundane then. And I'll be like, this is all so boring. Like, I hate this. This is like, is this my life forever? And I was like, I'd rather be, I'd rather be out there having fun and, and causing chaos and, and consequences than sitting here and just, you know, like weathering away in life. Yeah. And that would send me back out. But then I'd also be surrounding myself. Like the, my surroundings weren't right either. So you could throw that into, in, into the fire pit too. And um, yeah, but the, the main thing would be like, you know, all the issues I had with my, my confidence and whatnot. And, um, and where, where do you think that started from? Like the confidence thing and the belief that drink made you better than? And Yeah, I, it's, it's an interesting one. I feel like, you know, I'd say... Like I was not nearly born with that. Like I born feeling like that. But you know, um, you know, it, it does. It stems all the way back to to early days of primary school. You know, mm. because you're thinking like you're looking around and like you know, I just constantly comparing myself to other people. And every time I compared myself to somebody, I was always on the bottom end. You know what I mean? They'd always come out on top because yeah. I'd be focusing on what their strengths are. And then I'd compare their strengths to mine and I'd always put myself down, you know? It's wild, isn't it, that we do it? Like, when I remember, like, every room, every walk I ever walked into, I always felt 80% compared to everyone else for yeah. no reason. Like, everyone else looked 100% and I'd be less than. Just, for, you know, I'd be the type of guy, I could win gold in the Olympics and I think the guy that got bronze is better than me. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, just my default, that like, I'd walk into a room and just say, hi, I'm Colin, man, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, just because it's just low self-esteem, this insecurity and, and like you, I thought oh, if I found something external yeah. that would make me better than I would, like it would not make better but just make me equal yeah. you know I'm not I'm like a deficit just existing but if I go out, over, out and above I'll become equal to everyone else and it's a mad belief and it's like you I just can far back so I can remember I had that in my mind and it's, it's yeah. wild that we feel like that and then you say that to anyone or you look back you're like wow well, why do I feel like that it's, yeah. it's wild like. yeah I know and like even thinking back to to those primary school days I was actually escaping through stuff I was escaping through like video games like I was obsessed with video games when I was younger and I would play them non-stop to the point that uh, you know you'd have to drag me away from the thing do you know what I mean mm. and that was for me, a form of escape because it was giving me that sense of, you know, um, the, the the dopamine hits. Yeah, do you know what I mean? I was yeah. get I was getting that from a young age, so I was I was addicted to that. The dopamine hits from a very young age, and um, when I didn't have that, I felt like I was worthless. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah, I felt yeah. crap in myself, and like that was the kind of thing that probably kept sending me back out drinking and drugging was not getting these dopamine hits at the moment, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then I was sitting within my own my own skin and that's why life felt mundane. That's why I felt like I was, you know, worthless. And that's why I felt like I was like, you know, I, I wasn't going to achieve anything in life because I wasn't getting my hits. Yeah. And um, and so, and, and, and that kind of takes me then to bringing myself into treatment center because I wanted to, I hated drinking and, and drugging, you know, I hated it but I couldn't stop doing it. You yes. know what I mean? It was the weirdest thing ever. I, yeah. I was always baffled. You know, I'd be so, I remember on a Friday, I would say, people would try to get me out, you know, because and, and at this stage, I was like, no, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to drink anymore. And I'd, Friday morning, I would be like set. I am not drinking today. Like, it's not going to happen. No way. You, like, you couldn't, if you offer me a million euro, I'm not going to drink today because I'd, I'd gotten in so much trouble for the weeks before. And then six hours later, I have a point in my hands and I'm mm. ringing someone looking for drugs. Like, you know That's what I mean? Insane. Like, just yeah. like, and then the weekend would happen. And then Monday or Tuesday, whenever I started kind of coming back to reality again, I'm looking back and I'm like, how, the, how did that just happen? Do you know what I mean? I was so set that I wasn't going to drink. So I knew that I needed help. You know, I knew that I'm not going to be able to do this on my own. So I got myself into a treatment center. Uh, I went into the Rutten Center, which is in Knockline there. 
and uh, that was there for five weeks in total um and that was like honestly like one of the most like incredible experiences of my life was was that five weeks because like i was kind of that's when i was first introduced to a spiritual kind of existence you know mm. i remember like i had a counselor there and she told she was the one that kind of told me to start praying she's like you should go like and, and i remember before i went in there if someone told me to pray i think that they were just nuts like there's something wrong with you but i had a good connection with this counselor she actually was like you know very well qualified and she seemed like you know like just your average just an average person and she was like oh you should you should start praying it's it like you know i she told me like i pray all the time and i get a lot out of it and i was like well if she's saying that she's getting something out of it she doesn't seem too crazy to me so I remember I went upstairs and to my room that I had and uh, got down on my knees and I prayed. And like, I remember like that was the first time I felt like, okay, there's something, there's something out there. I felt like I was being watched after or, or looked after, you know? And, uh, you know, I remember that was the first kind of experience that I had where I was like, okay, hang on a second. There is something out there. Um, I don't know what it is, but like there's something. Wow. And uh, then throughout like the, the the treatments day you, you do these group therapy sessions you do two a day and they're pretty intense like yeah. so you have like two a counselor on each side of the room and then you have everyone in between and uh pretty much like like it's just intense group therapy and uh it can be it'd be quite uncomfortable at times because sometimes they'd be going at you like they'd be kind of picking at your def like your defects and stuff like that and, and going in at you and that was tough but uh once again, it was like a really kind of uh, an amazing experience because like I learned how to start opening up about how I was feeling, you know, in front of people. And, you know, I was getting like being completely honest because I, I suffer a, a lot growing up with panic attacks and anxiety. That was like a big, uh, you know, a, a, a big kind of um, demon in my life that I always had. And uh, I remember when I was going through the rut and I was getting so many panic attacks all the time again, they were coming back even stronger. And uh, I remember I was sitting in a room and I was having one. And I was I, I, I used to always, when I was having a, an anxiety, I would get up and, I'd, and I'd, I'd just run away, you know? So in college or something like that, if I started to have one in class, I'd just get up and run away and go home, you know? But now I can't, I can't run. So I ha I'm sitting here. So I had to just say it out loud. I was like, I'm having a panic attack right now. And you know, I used to start really showing you know how i was really feeling like i couldn't wear this mask anymore that i used to always yeah. that i used to always walk around with yeah. and i started getting feeling like i was accepted and people out people then started showing me love and support wow. and when i started feeling that i was like i could feel growth from that you know i could yeah. feel something happening within me and i'm like oh my god like this is actually this is actually there's nothing to be scared of i here. say that was so comforting when you finally take down the mask yeah. be vulnerable and people give you that validation yeah. and acceptance. And you're like, wow, I wasn't expecting that. I thought you'd hate me if you got to know the real Connor. I thought you'd, you'd ask me to leave. And, and it's that surprise that we get. It's, hold on, I'm actually a decent skin. I'm not the bad person that I thought I was, you yeah, know? Yeah, exactly, man. And and that's, you hit the nail on the head there. You know, it was taking off that mask. And, you know, always because I always I would have assumed that people would look down on me because my head would tell me that. But I took off the mask when I was in the Rutland and... All of a sudden, everyone's like the, 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 like the most amazing thing was the most positive ones that everyone used to always tell me. Like they'd always be telling me like the good things about me, you know, the really positive things about me, things that I didn't even know about, you know. And I'd be like, oh my god! So I started like feeling like love and support, and it was incredible, you know. I loved it, and um, so yeah, introduced to a spiritual way of life. Then you know, introduced to the importance of opening up and being honest, and then also. The, the importance of, of love and support as well. So I got I got shown three really big things. And uh, when I left there anyway, I was ready to take on the world then, you know? I was like, <laughs> okay, here we go. I know, <laughs> I know how to, I know how to live life now. Yeah, I've, got yeah. the, I've got the secret recipe right here. But it wasn't like that, you know? It was like, like I said, my first 18 months was really difficult. And did they like, did you try and keep practicing the stuff that they taught you in the treatment center when, yeah. when you left? Absolutely. Yeah. I remember because, so when I got out, I knew, okay, I need to go to AA meetings, like as much as I can, you know, that was really important for me because that's a place where there's love and support, you know? And, uh, so I knew like, that's the type of place that I need to be. I need to train myself with the right people, you know, who are, who are sober and happy in life. 
Um, so I went, I was going to them. That's where I would have met yourself then. Mm. Not too long after I came out, I remember I, I met you in Monkstown. And uh, it was, um, but that was a cool experience because I, my previous notion for AA was, was just, it was just full of people like 50 years older than me. And fucking, <laughs> you know what I mean? And not doing the, it. The bingo and biscuit club. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I saw yourself, I think you must have been about six or seven years sober and like you were like, you know, smashing life and loving it as well. And you were like, you know, a big inspiration. And I was like, oh my God. So anyways, I put everything into perspective then that they showed me. And I was practicing this a lot. Like I was practicing being open and honest. And, you know, I thought that like after a week or two, I'm going to be, I'm going to be fixed of doing, from doing this stuff. But, you know, I was practicing it for months, you know, and I was still, and, and I, I'd be ringing people and being like, oh, I just feel shit. Like, I just feel like, you know, there's nothing to do with my life. All I do is I go to work and I don't have any hobbies. I don't have this, you know, I don't have this. I don't have that. And like looking at all the things I don't have in my life yet, because I would have been looking around and everyone is living an amazing life, you know, married with kids and all this stuff. And then I'd be once again, like I was when I was a kid, comparing myself to everybody mm -hmm. else. And then just once again, my head was putting me back down. But the one thing that I was doing was I was being open and honest about, uh, about where I was at. And I, I was telling people, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm not in a good place. And people would be saying like, no, oh, you're doing great. Keep going. You know, you're, you're, you're doing amazing. You're doing all the right things. And, and they were saying like, things are going to change. I promise you life's going to change and life's going to get better. And um, so I just kept following what everyone was saying. And some days I didn't believe it. Some days I was thinking, no, I'm different. You know, it's not going to work out for me. Now, I didn't want to drink again. You know, the, the, the craving to drink was gone. I didn't want to do like do, do anything like that. But I wanted to be happy in life. And I just couldn't seem to find it. You know, mm. I just couldn't find it. And I, I, I was waiting for it. I, I was waiting for it to, to kind of fall on my lap, essentially. I was like, when's this going to happen? When's this life beyond my wildest dreams that everyone's talking about going to happen? You know, and uh, I, I, once again, I wasn't doing anything. And it was only then when I met up with a guy for a cup of coffee, a member and he was saying to me like you know like would you not think of like you know joining a club or getting a hobby and, and doing something outside of just going to meetings and going to work and i was like yeah that's actually you know I'm, I'm open to doing that so i started doing research i remember i was working on a job at the time when i started researching on on the computer things to be doing and i came across triathlon and uh, i was like oh, that actually sounds kind of cool because like you know i was a member at the gym at the time and i liked exercising you know, exercising was, was something I was doing with in, in my first 18 months, but it was just going to the gym and going over to a machine and lifting, like no real kind of plan in place, you know, but I, it was something I enjoyed doing. Mm. So I was like, oh yeah, triathlon, that'd be kind of cool. I, I'd, I'd love to try something like that, even though I can't swim, you know, I don't have a bike, which is why I ended up getting a bike a week before lockdown. And, um, but then obviously lockdown happened. And I joined the, uh, the Wicklow Triathlon Club um, to kind of get a bit of a community aspect, you know, um, and just as I joined them, they, the lockdown happened. So I didn't, I didn't have that at the time, but when I started getting out my bike, yeah, I remember actually when I went to pick up my bike, I, uh, <laughs> I, I only just started getting into running and the bike shop was a five kilometer, exactly five kilometer distance from my house. Mm. It was the one in Greystones. So I was like, you know what I'm going to do? Because I, I want to get into this multi-sport kind of style thing. I'm going to run down there and then I'm going to cycle back when I get the bike. So then I ran down and it, it, it was like, it's quite downhill to run to the bike shop. So it felt a bit easier, you know, and I ran down. Um, and, and when I got there, uh, I got the bike and then I was like, okay, I'm just going to cycle this thing home now. And I remember I tried cycling it back and I couldn't cycle the thing back because there was hills and I didn't even know how to change the gears properly to go lighter. <laughs> so I was in like the strongest gear trying to go up this hill. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I didn't have a clue how to work the thing. And I was like, oh my God, I can't even cycle five kilometers. Do you know what I mean? And I was looking at doing like a, a, an Olympic distance triathlon, which was going to be a 40 kilometer cycle. And I was like, oh my God. And then once again, putting myself down. And uh, so I, I had to learn a lot from the from the get go in the in the sport. I had to literally <laughs> teach myself from scratch, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but like 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 in anything, in order to get good at something, you have to practice it, and you have to practice it 
as much as you can, you know, and that's luckily in lockdown, I was able to do that. I was able to practice every single day. So one day I'd go for a run, the next day I'd go for a cycle and I just repeat that over and over and over. And I'd start pushing out the distances then and I'd start being able to go a bit, fat, like, a, a, bit a bit longer and longer and longer. And uh, I started loving it, you know, I remember I was like, and, and then th- it was really good weather at the time. This, uh, it was right into in, in the summertime. And like we were talking about earlier before the podcast, actually the sun was out, it was shining all the time, getting that vitamin D. And I, but I was getting outside into nature so much and I just loved it, you know, I just loved every bit of it. And I would come back from every single session just feeling so alive, you know, feeling like there's something in me like lit up now. Whereas before I was, felt like I was just, I had a dark cloud over my head all the time. Now I feel like I've got like a, just a, a ball of sunshine over me, you know? Oh. Beautiful. And um, the more I did it, the more I loved it. And so I stuck at it. And then I had to learn how to swim, which was the, the next challenge. But uh, once again, just had to keep practicing and, and getting down to a pool and then join us like the, the, the swim blocks in my triathlon club. And, you know, eventually like things started kind of coming together then, you know. That's powerful, man. And yeah, we, uh, that's, that's beautiful how you kind of went stride to stride and just found something that you love and did you find that you know you were saying at the start how you struggle with the mundane of sobriety you're not having that excitement or that stimulation did you find the movement and the exercise and triathlon inadequate void filler so to speak that helped you in recovery and helped enhance your recovery yeah exactly like like the thing about exercising is it starts to release you know these endorphins in your in your brain and it feels really, really nice, you know. It, it's it's a rewarding feeling, first of all, because when you finish it, you get like this buzz from it, you know, because mm. um, everything's flowing. And uh, I think I started getting a bit like hooked on that, but it's a healthy, it's a healthy version, you know. Mm. I remember I used to say like, "This is amazing. There's no, there's no come down off this." Do you know what I mean? Um, which is true. And I look like, and it was, it was great for me in, as a coping mechanism at the time, you know, because. It was getting me outside. It was getting me exercising. It was getting me feeling good in myself, and you know, it just it it made life just worth living, and it gave me a purpose then. Especially when I knew that there was a race that I wanted to complete, you know. So there was a a bit of a goal there that I wanted to work towards, and so I was getting so much from it. So I was getting like ambition from it, but I was also getting you know the good feelings that exercising brings. But you know, one thing I have had to learn um, is that. I can't use it. If I'm not good in myself, I can't use a big, long cycle to fix that. You know, I still have to make sure I'm on top of, you know, my mental health, you know, through being open and honest, like I spoke about earlier, about opening up about when I'm not feeling right, you know, and uh, surrounding myself with the right people and, and you know, <clears throat> and praying as well, you know, praying's a big thing for me also. So I still have to be on top of that more like my mental health has to come first essentially and then my physical health but like they're, they're, they'd be quite close in uh in parallel for me but like the mental health has to be there because i have trained before when the mental health's not right and i'm trying to get myself physically fit and you know it i, I come back from the cycle or i come back from the run and i'm like okay i feel a bit better now and then once the kind of endorphins kind of wear off i'm kind of like actually no i felt the exact same before the run Okay, there's something not right here. I need to address this, you know. Um, but most, so, but so, like, I have to be on top of both sides of things, yeah. you know. No, I hear you, man. I hundred percent get that, and like that, man. Just like you, you know, I've that addictive personality. Yeah. You know, if I got a buzz out of Lego, I'd have Lego land built in my back garden, like <laughs> yeah. you know. And same with the exercise, man. I have to, um, <clears throat> you know, when I know when I'm going to the extreme, um distances and lengths i have to ask myself am we doing this out of a place of pace sorry am we doing this out of a place the trail run now is catching up me now from (laughs) earlier man uh so am i doing getting the brain fog am i doing this out of a place of pain or a place of peace yeah you know and when i'm doing it from a place of pain my my rational and logic thinking isn't there anymore and i'm just seeking the anesthetic yeah. feeling of the thing whatever it is and we eating because i'm in pain yeah. and we running because i'm in pain and we uh seeking something because i'm in pain that means the the only objective is to find the the soothing 
antidote from the, the act or the substance. Yeah. So all logic wears away. And I found when I was training because I was in pain, I always injured myself because I wouldn't listen to my body and yeah. I wouldn't rest. And I wouldn't be like, oh, I should only do, like I only done 10K yesterday, I shouldn't be doing 20K today yeah. and then doing 40K tomorrow. But I was just run, run, run because I didn't want to sit with my feelings. Yeah. And there's a great book, um, Radical Acceptance. And there's a question in that book that says, what's the feeling that you're unwilling to sit with? Right. And it's learning, as you said, one of the most uncomfortable things for a human being to do is to sit with ourselves, to sit in our own skin. Because we're constant, we're, we, we live in a world where we're constantly distracted. Mm. Phones, food, pleasure, you know, whatever it is, we're never actually on our own. We might be sitting on our own, but we have a phone in our hands yeah. or watching Netflix or eating something, you know, so we're never actually just by ourselves. Yeah. You know, and that's why when I came into recovery, I was all the uncomfortable stuff that I didn't want to do, like meditating, mm. you know, sitting with yourself, just for, for what are your thoughts that going through your head? I was so, you know, not, not used to that, that. I really struggled with it. Yeah. You know, then slowly over time, you know, when I, I started to practice that stuff, that racing mind started to slow down and I started to get more comfortable with, in my own company. And now I love my own company. You know, look, I'm an extroverted extrovert. You know, I love being around people, but I also love my own company. Yeah. You know, I can jump on a plane and try around the world on my own you know I'm going to you know a, a five six seven eight hour cycle on my own yeah. or getting to see and, and and just me and nature you know and that's what I love getting up in the hills up yeah. in Wicklow on the bike it's just me and nature my best pal yes and I, and, I, and I love that you know and I love today spending time me on and see the difference was man you know when you're in prison all you're doing is how can I escape how can I get out of here I'm so uncomfortable this is so nasty I hate it here yeah. and that's what it was like in my head my head was like a prison whereas now my head's a bit more like Disneyland you know what I mean it's, yeah. like it's still a bit mad yeah. but it's, it's in a nice place you know it's, it's, it's like a council estate in Darky you know yeah. it's, like, it's a nice it's a bit mad but it's in a nice area yeah. you know and, uh, and and that's what and that's what I'm blessed with today man you know yeah. because of sobriety and yeah, man, I like you. You're, and, and it's really funny when you're you're saying um, there about that feeling. I'm not feeling good enough. I'm not feeling accepted. And you know, I look at you, and you're like probably one of the coolest people we know. You're, I'm like so grateful you're my friend. Like <laughs> yeah. you know, and I'm just like you're such a fucking awesome dude. Thank and I'm like, how could you ever think that you're not good enough, or people wouldn't like you, or you're not cool? And I just like, I just think that's bizarre. But that's why it's an internal thing that yeah. we like. We other people look at us in awe, yeah. but when we look at ourselves, we're like, ah, you know, it's not right. We're be like wow you're awesome so tell us tell us about how was it difficult going from like olympic distance to iron man and how did you make that kind of leap up in distances and like what was your training like what was your mindset like what did you yeah. do to take that leap yeah uh, funny enough so i didn't actually get to do the olympic distance that i wanted to do because it was in croatia and this is lockdown and everything like that so i went for the sprint distance then in greystones and uh that was like uh, it was like a, a race that was essentially there was no support or anything like that because of like the lockdown so essentially it was the king of greystones route mm -hmm. but they said okay you just kind of go and you record your time and stuff like that and upload it and we'll have a you know a winner through that so, it so was you just record your own time uh, yeah, yeah, is, yeah. Is, is this like the lockdown 5k is there people are getting like 8 minute 5k yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but then you check their lapse time yeah. on Strava and you're like hang on a second yeah. Yeah. were you on the loose yeah, <laughs> yeah. so um, but it was good practice you know I went and did the, the sprint triathlon and um, yeah loved it like, I was like, oh, that was class, you know what I mean? Like, I thought I was deadly. I thought I was, you know, the man. And, um, but it was really, really nice. It was a, it was a cool moment. Um, but then, I think then I just, I just came, I went straight back into, into just loving the training still, you know? And I think I knew, like, after that, I was like, ah, like, I, I could definitely do, take something a bit, a bit, a bit longer in distance, you know? Um, and then I remember the uh, 70.3 in Cork, Ironman 70.3 Cork. Um, applications were open and everyone I, I, I was chatting to some people like yourself actually and there I saw people signing up to it and I was like ah oh, yeah that'd be great crack you know so that was a half Ironman signed up to that and, and that was your first half Ironman that was my first yeah it ended up getting postponed so I signed up to do it in 2021 and it got postponed into 2022 because of COVID because of COVID yeah so I was meant to do that I was training for it once again, I was training off my own back and doing my own thing. Um, and then 
it got pushed out. So, and I don't think I was doing any races, but I was just training loads because I just loved it. I just mm. loved training. Like, you couldn't stop me from training because it did so much for me. Um, and, like, I'd happily train if there's no races. Um, but anyways, uh, eventually then it came around, then 2022 came around, and that 70.3 in Cork was coming up. But I was training so much that I remember thinking, I, maybe his ego started kicking in. I was like, I could definitely do a, a full Ironman. Well, sorry, I didn't say I could definitely do one, but I remember thinking, oh, I could definitely do, a, I, I could do a half Ironman tomorrow because of all the training I'm doing. Like, I know I could. I was like, I'd love to try and go for a full Ironman. And I, then once again, I was chatting to you one day and you're telling me that you were signed up to do Ironman Barcelona and, uh, in 2022. Mm. And I had Cork in August, so a half Ironman in Cork in August. And then I remember thinking, oh, I'm just going to go for it. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it. And uh, it. Where, like, where did that confidence come from? Like from the young kid that had yeah. no confidence to talk to kids. Yeah. And now you're like, fuck it, I'm gonna just <laughs> do an Ironman. I'm gonna come first. <laughs> yes, yeah. I think it was, uh, first of all, from just doing, like repetitively doing the training. And then I was always watching stuff like YouTube videos of all these people doing Ironmans and stuff like that. And I was like, I just, I, I, now it was starting to get to a stage where it was addictive, you know? And I just wanted the like. It's almost like I wanted the 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 biggest hit, you know. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, you know, so now yeah, like, I get it. The, the, you wanted more, I want more, more of a buzz. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it was coming from a place of ego. Yeah. And um, I suppose that's a, a time when ego can kind of serve you. Yeah. Then you take the leap, you know. What I mean? Otherwise, would you do it? Yeah. If you didn't have that kind of fuck it, let's go, you know. Exactly. I think if you can channel ego in the right way, sometimes. You know, it can it can work in your favor. You just got to be careful with it, you know. Mm. And uh, you, when you can turn ego into kind of confidence, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so yeah, I, I eventually I went I went for it, you know, and I signed up to to the Ironman Barcelona. I did the seventy point three in Cork, which I thought was like one of the coolest experiences. The weather was amazing. Um, like it was it was really really sunny that day. The sea was perfectly calm. Everything was just perfect. And I uh, did that race, loved it. And I was just like, I'm ready. I cannot wait. Actually, sorry. When I finished it, I was a bit fearful uh, when I finished that race. I was fearful because I remember when I did the half Ironman, when I finished the bike and I was going on to the run, I remember thinking, hang on a second. In Barcelona, I'm going to have to do that again. Ooh, I'm going to yeah. have to do that bike Especially Twice. Windmill Hill and Cork, man. That, yeah. I, I felt sorry for people like, going up that and have to go up that voice. Like, yeah. You know, two laps of that hill. That would Jesus. be tough. Because the whole race for 70.3 Cork, or Cork in general, the whole bike section, I was chatting about this to someone before, like, you're just waiting for Windmill Hill. Because it's the amount of scare, man. When anyone <laughs> yeah. you say, anytime you say Iron Man Cork, it's like, oh, Windmill, Windmill Hill. Hill. Oh, yes. man, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. But I, like, I found that when I turned to the corner and just, it's like, you hear this kind of silence. Next thing, you hear this yeah. subtle cheering, cheering. And then you get around the corner and you see it. Yeah. And it's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> and you see, but the hordes of people on either side, just yeah. thousands of people clapping, saying, come on. Yeah. And then you're just doing it. Yeah. You know, some little 10-year-old is just, like saying you can do yes. it and you're like yes I can yeah. and you know when you get up there and then you get up to the top and just the atmosphere and the energy is yeah. amazing yeah. you know when you're going you're going and you're to the left you see people walking to the right you see people falling yeah. and you're just like head down let's go let's go and yeah. then you get to the top and you're drained and I loved it when you get down the hill and if you're doing the 70.3 yeah. you take a left and start your, your run and you're like yeah. oh deadly but yeah. if you're doing the full you have to go right and I can imagine the, just the, the, the your, your soul leave your body when you dip complete that hill I, like one of the steepest climbs ever yeah and next thing you just see that go right here for another lap of that shit yes. like, oh no exactly <laughs> I, I think that's what i saw when i first did the 70.3 and i was like oh my god imagine i had to do that all over again yeah. um but yeah you're right women hills great crack but um yeah so i think after i was a bit fearful uh, about the full Ironman, but I was still so excited for it. You know, I was like, no, it's it's something, it just gave me like the biggest like surge of ambition was working towards doing a full Ironman, you know? And um, it got me just so focused and, and you know, my, my training, in fairness, like my training was, I, I was kind of like doing my own kind of self-coach thing. Like I had like an Excel sheet um, to, to go up, you know? And... Um, 
I, I had this like Excel sheet to follow and I followed it, but like I was kind of doing my own thing as well, you know? And but I just said, I'm just going to try and get as much volume in as possible. I didn't really have a time in mind that I wanted to do the Ironman in. I just wanted to just go there and just give it my all, you know? And um, yeah, then I went, when I went over, that was in October then. It was actually the day after my birthday. I think I just turned 29. Savage. And uh, yeah, so I remember I was like, I'd love to, I want to do an Ironman before I turn 30. So yeah, I was 29. And um, is that right? Anyways, I uh, eventually, but yeah, I went over there and like the bike I had was like a Land Aluminium frame. And I remember I was walking through like, you know, the, um, the, what's it called? this athlete kind of area where you, you yeah. see everyone just kind of walking yeah, the villages the village Alex, that's the Alex one village, yeah. village yeah i was walking through that i had this aluminium frame bike that the one the same one that i got the first day when i went down to that bike shop that day and cycled home so i thought it was kind of cool i'm, I'm doing an iron man on this thing you know this is the bike that brought me a lot of happiness over like it, it, this bike brought me from a dark place to a, a bright place and now i'm gonna take on this monumental challenge with it and I thought that was kind of cool. But when I was looking around and I saw everyone else's bikes, these TT bikes, you know, <laughs> yeah. carbon fiber, like, you know. Oh, it's ridiculous, man. Like, oh, I, I, when I done Ironman in Barcelona yeah. a few months ago, there was a bike on the course when the lads was telling me that it was worth 20 odd grand. Yes. How could a bike cost like 20 <laughs> odd grand? But man, it's mental when you see them. But it's real funny when you say that, the whole comparison thing. Yeah. Because you're all confident, you're feeling good, you know, you're feeling great. And next thing you get in the plane and you start to see, geez, he's in great, Nick. He's yes. a much better neck than me. And then you're getting, and then you're seeing, you're getting closer to the village and see more and more athletes and you're like well he's much better runners than me yeah you're like shit he's like eight foot tall you know and yeah. this lad is like sw swimming like in 10 doing 10k swims and yeah. and his bike you know and it's like to compare and straight away you're like uh, like you're just selling yourself so short and you're questioning going oh shit well, maybe we shouldn't do this and just the imposter syndrome is like going a million percent in your head like yeah exactly when you're looking around and it's just that comparison thing like comparison being the thief of joy you know mm, and that. like it's just like like i you think i'd have learned growing up you know like after all this time comparing myself to others when i knew how bad it was for me you know and now i'm about to do an iron man you know i've been through so much in my life and then i'm back comparing myself to others just before this big race and putting myself down and thinking oh i like you know just feeling so like you know, worthless almost, you know? Although, like, I wasn't going that deep into it, but I was just feeling a bit like, oh, okay, I'm going to have to get a good bike now when I finish this race. Um, but it's funny because I have a coach now today, um, a really, really good guy, and he was, I did a triathlon workshop with him recently, and, you know, he was talking about, like, before you start investing in these unbelievable bikes and stuff like that, you know, get yourself, first of all, first, you, like, the most important thing is that, you know you're 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 set up correctly on a bike where you're 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 reducing as much drag from the wind as possible you know before you go spending 10 grand on a bike you know practice these aero positions where you're not like you're reducing drag so you're moving faster from just pushing power um because it, it, like so much people go towards just throwing money at the sport in order to get faster before they start going for the the, the simple things and the basic things you know mm. But um, when I was in, uh, so, yeah, when I was in Barcelona anyways, I kind of, uh, oh, there, there was actually so much things that could have gone wrong. I had these tubeless tires set up on my, on my bike. And, um, you know, this is like higher power stuff, like, you know. Um, and I got over there. I had, uh, the bike was like, you know, dismantled and stuff like that. And the, the, the air taken out of tires and everything. And then the bike kind of, uh, the bike set up, the bike stand, I had it booked in for them to put it back together for me. So they put it back together for me. And I remember the night before the race, I was racking my bike up at the um, in the, the bike rack area. And I went to pump, just pump some air in my tires just to see that there was enough air. And then when I did that, the sealant from the tire started pouring everywhere. So now there's no, like, it was just like all over the ground. And I was like, okay, because they were tubeless tires. So I was like, oh my God, what the hell's going on? So I took the tires, went down to the bike stand. And I was like, here, listen, the sealant's after pouring everywhere. And he's like, oh, you didn't even realize they were tubeless tires. Hang on. So then he took the tire off me and put it back together. And I was like, he's like, yeah, that's fixed now, okay? And I was like, are you sure? Because like, I can't have this happen in the morning now when I'm about to race. He's like, no, no, that's all done. So I was like, all right. So I went back to my bike, put the thing back on my bike. 
left it there overnight and it was on my mind though and I was kind of praying that it was all going to work out you know and um the next morning I went back down this is an hour before the race is about to start and I was like okay I need to pump some air in the tires just in case anything went down overnight and I pumped some air in and the ceiling started pouring everywhere again and this is like an hour before I'm about to start racing and I panicked like I was like oh my god oh my god like 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 I, I had no idea how to fix this issue and luckily the chap beside me uh, happened to be a lad that I, I knew from Bray, literally standing right beside me. And he was like, luckily he's big into, he's a big cyclist and everything like that. So he knows loads about bikes and he knew exactly how to fix this. He was just like, let me have a look at that. And then he like, grabbed the tire. We ran over to like this little stand where they had like um, spare tubes and stuff like that. And uh, he was able to then like remove the tire for me like put in a tube and like and so it was on a tube set up now and then fix everything for me pumped it up and he's like okay panic over what and legend i know man like man. And he like he was in the middle of like you know getting set up for his race this took 20 minutes to do wow. you know what an and absolute legend yeah man. so I like, had, oh, imagine that moment and like he, he, like all that training you're doing man. and the day before this is your big race and you had to spend like thousands above exactly, like, just to man. take it alone and oh, yeah. the, the playing there and all that and it all came down to this moment and you found this legend of a man yeah. that just done that kind that good deed exactly. just completely impacted like in your day in a good way that you were able to kind of go and do this arm and it's it, phenomenal I, like. I know man it was like it was like it was just meant to happen you know and it was beautiful because it was a beautiful day real sunny the sea was just like perfectly calm and like i it was just one of those days where i just like everything was was ready to, everything was go all the train that i put in the year before you know it's all coming down to this moment and everything was set up for me and then this moment happened and I went into panic mode, but it was like I was being looked after, you know, from above and uh, everything yeah. was just, you know, and I was ready then. And I remember when I went to line up to go into the sea, I just knew like, like if, if I have to crawl over that finish line, I'll do it. You know, like this thing, I'm not going to stop until I cross that finish line, you know? Mm. And I remember then I, I went and uh, yeah, did it. it was uh, a day when I look back and I can, I can, like I, I've definitely progressed a lot more as a like as a triathlete and when i look back i'm like oh my god there's so much that i, I would do differently than i did but like you know that's how we learn in life we got to put ourselves into the into the ringer sometimes and and make mistakes mm. and and learn from them you know you're winning you learn exactly you're a winner you learn and when you're in the race did you think back to your days in addiction and did that motivate you at all great man that's a great question actually but i remember when i was about 100 meters into the swim I remember I just had this moment where I was like, it was almost like flashbacks, you know? And I had these flashbacks when I was in school, you know, and going through all these like tough times. And I was like, look where you're at. You're, you're, you are literally a, doing an Ironman right now. You know, it's, this is, it was the most surreal experience. I remember when I was in school, when I was in secondary school, there was a teacher that did Ironmans. And uh, I remember I, that was the first time I ever heard of what an Ironman was, but I didn't understand what the distance was. I just knew it was like this ridiculous feet this is ridiculous like you know 10 plus hour endurance event and uh, i remember just thinking like how does he do that and then now i'm doing this iron man you know i'm in the middle of it and uh, well i just started the swim but like it was just the most surreal moment and uh yeah i just i just loved it you know i i and i just felt so happy you know and i'm even though i'm about to take on something that's so brilliant but like i just felt so like just chuffed with life and uh you know, I think I carried that same feeling throughout the whole race then. Even for the last 10K of the marathon, which is absolute torture, I still carried that with me, you know, that feeling. And I just said, I'm crossing that finish line no matter what. Um, you know, I, I, I remember in the marathon, I definitely wasn't, I definitely wasn't, you know, uh, my body wasn't definitely conditioned enough to do a, a marathon. So I started to really slow down the marathon. I didn't do enough long runs in my training, which is obviously something I've learned. And, um, but I said, I still said like, I, I, I'm gonna like hobble along if mm -hmm. I have to, which I, you know, I had to, you know, I really slowed down in the, in the marathon, but like, I just kept going, I kept moving forward and, uh, yeah, crossed the finish line. And it was wow. about, I think about like a kilometer out, I just got this surge. No, it was actually about like three kilometers out. I got this surge where I just said, just put everything into this, that three kilometers. And so I picked up my pace for the last three kilometers. And I just ran as hard as I could. You know, I just got this bang of energy out of nowhere. 
and just ran as hard as I could. And once again, sort of having flashbacks in my life, getting sober and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, I really tried to soak in that moment. And like that, so addictive that when I crossed, I remember during the marathon, I said, I am never. So during the Ironman, I said, during, sorry, during the marathon section of the Ironman, I remember just thinking, I'm never, ever doing one of these again. Not a chance. This is horrible. Uh, and across the finish line and the next day I was thinking okay when's the next one do you know what I mean like mm. can't wait to do the next one but anyways but yeah. you're, lo- you're signed up to Italy art full Ironman now in September yeah yeah exactly uh, uh, doing the full now in September uh, so I'm kind of doing a lot of training for that at the moment Savage. Uh, I have a, like now I have got a, a, a really really good coach um, you know I made uh, that decision that I wanted to get like a, a coach this time and uh, I've learned so much from, you know, mm. uh, Oliver Harkins, his name, he done m- numerous Ironmans himself. And he's been to Kona twice, Savage. did sub 10 in Kona. What? Yeah, Savage. yeah. Really, really good guy to learn from. So I've learned so much. And that's been an amazing investment for me, you know. Um, that's unreal. What, yeah. In the last, like, five years of your sobriety, would you have said that? Again, over that finish line was the highlight? Yeah, or well, I've got a few things. So... I'm in a really loving relationship at today with Beautiful. my girlfriend, so <laughs> that that's definitely number one for me, you know. Okay. Um, that's magic, man. Yeah, yeah. So like, like for me, like the the like that that stuff has to come number one, you know, mm-hmm. family and friends and everything like that. Yeah. But when it comes to personal achievements and uh, things that you know, like like things that I I did that I never thought I could do. You know, the Ironman crossing the the finish line for the full Ironman was, you know, the most incredible experience in in that in that aspect. You know, I remember just you know, it, it's very emotional. Do you know what I mean? It really is. It's an emotional experience, and um, it's uh, and that's why I'm kind of addicted to it now at this stage. And now I want to I want to go for it again. But you know, to go from, you know, I think. I, I've been doing the sport so that was 2022 and it was 2020 early 2020 that I started training and you know from two so two years before I finished like across the finish line you know I'm there struggling to cycle my bike home from a bike shop because I don't know how to work the thing you know mm. and you fast well, forward you, even if you go back further than that man yeah look at the guy that was in the treatment centre and yeah. now you're doing Ironman you know what I mean that's, that's phenomenal that's true you know if I could you know, go back and look at the person in the treatment center, you know, sitting in a, in a, in a group therapy session, you know, rattled and telling everyone that I'm having a panic attack and, you know, feeling so, uh, so lost and so scared. And, you know, I was, I was very, very fragile. And then fast forward then, you know, a couple of years and, you know, I'm, I'm sober and doing Ironmans and, wow. you know, I'm, I'm loving endurance events. And at that stage, when I was in the treatment center, I, you know, I was quite, I was actually a bit overweight and I was smoking about 25 fags a day. Now, now you're only smoking 20. That's, uh, that's <laughs> <Yeah>. progress. <laughs> yeah, moderation. You know? <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so it's... Uh, like, man, that, you're so inspirational. Like, that's uh, it's phenomenal. Like, if if you go go back to yourself on your day one, on your sober journey, what, what would you tell yourself? Back to day one? Yeah. I'd say uh, just don't stop, don't stop moving forward with this, you know, because it is, it's, it's one of those things that for me, you got to keep moving forward, you know, and uh, you got to keep practicing the, the right things. And like, that's one thing that I back, my, I, I give myself credit for is that I never gave up in the early days, you know, and as, like as much as I, as much as, as, as I was finding life really, really difficult, I kept kept moving forward and I kept doing the things that people were, were suggesting for me to do that were, were going to benefit me, you know? Like, you know, the people who were around a long time and sober, I kept doing what they told me to do, even though it wasn't working. At the time, it wasn't working because I wanted the quick fix because that's what I was used to all my life, you know? Mm-hmm. And I kept do, repeating it and repeating it and repeating it, even though I wasn't seeing instant results. And I kept doing it over and over and over and over and over. And eventually results started to show. And once you get a, a small sign of a result, you know, that's enough to keep moving forward. Um, but it's it's tough at the start when, when, you, when you don't have that, when you don't see the results straight away. And you're being told, do this, it's going to fix you, I promise. 
you know, you have to put a lot of trust into that. So that's the one thing I, I would definitely say. And I, that's what the thing I say to anyone that comes in is, is to keep coming back, you know, mm. uh, coming into recovery yeah. and to meetings and stuff like that. Keep coming back. You know, it's a daily reprieve and each day you got to keep, keep working at it, you know, yeah. and, and, and a big, one of my favorite mottos is from a big inspiration of mine, actually, uh, Cam Haynes, you know, Cam oh, Haynes, Cam Haynes. Yeah, always yeah. Motto, keep hammering, yeah, keep just hammering. keep hammering. Yeah. And I love that, you know, that's one of yeah. my, that's what I, I, I say that to myself a I lot. Think in Ireland, they say, well, keep trucking. Keep trucking. <laughs> keep yeah, trucking. exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Just keep moving forward. Powerful, man. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, yeah, you're an inspiration, man. Seriously, anyone listening to this is, you know, like just the hope. And, you know, it's funny when you said just have trust in the, trust in what you're doing. It's like that when you get on the bike in the triathlon, you're just yeah. hoping that it goes. And it, and it does. And it all works out. And that's just this your story, man. It's like everything just falls into place if we just keep going forward or, or keep hammering. Yes. You know what I mean? And that everything will fall into place when we have trust. And it's beautiful just to see you listening to your story. And I know you personally. And I've seen your progress and seen you grow, man. And it's absolutely phenomenal. Like it's, And it's... It makes it give it makes me so honored and um, you know privileged to be part of the sober journey. Yeah. And I know that it works when I look at people like you and I look how far you've come and the person you are today. It's like yeah, this thing works. You yeah, know, this thing definitely works, man. And it's truly phenomenal, man. So yeah. thank you for coming on today and, no and telling your story. But I'm gonna just finish off with a couple of quick fire questions. Yeah, before we yeah, do. let's do it. What's the greatest advice you've ever gotten? Um, probably when, yeah, well, it, probably I spoke about it earlier when I was told to start praying, you know, because uh, I think once I started praying in life, that's when things started, I, I, that's when things started getting a bit better for me. Mm. And it's something I, like I re resort back to every day now you know yeah. is praying and it's taught me how to hand things over and trust that things are being looked after and it's helped you know like listen i still get anxious today obviously but it's helped me to accept things and uh know that in place and over the last few years you know i've seen that my prayers have come true you know and um, so i would probably say that because it's 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 the thing that i no matter, like, if anything happens in life, it's the one thing that I can always resort back to is praying, you know? Mm, no matter what I'm trying Yeah. I love that. Yeah, man, like, for me, get, getting a connection with higher power and God, mm. it was a game changer, you know? And like that, you just know that you're getting looked after. Yeah. You know, and it's just beautiful just to, even every day, every morning when I meditate and pray, just spending that bit of time with God and it just... It connects me in. It puts me in the right frequency for the day, and it's great to know. Like me and the me and God have this business deal. Yeah. You know, we're we're business partners. Yeah. And, and the deal is that he says to me, Colin, you just worry about being happy, yeah. and let me take like all the all the stresses and worries you're worried about. Let me look after that. Like imagine you're in work and you have all this paperwork and Excel sheets and analysis and admin to do. Yeah. And next thing God just comes around and says, Here, I'll look after that for you. Yeah, you don't worry about that. I'll, I'll take that off your hands. Yeah. You don't need to worry about tomorrow. I'll, I'll sort that out. Yeah. Worrying about last year, don't worry. Yeah. You're worried about money, what people think about you, doing the marathon, doing the, you know, I'll, I'll worry about all that stuff. Let me work, let me take that and you do, you just focus on today. You just focus on being happy today. Yeah, exactly. and, and that's it, man. That's it. And that's a bit the comfort in having that. Yeah. You know, it's it's the greatest supplement from a triathlon perspective, the greatest supplement or piece of equipment or yeah. asset or attribute is that it's just to have now that your faith behind you that no matter what's going on, like if I didn't have faith, man, I'd have nothing. Like exactly. You know? Yeah. It's and it, that's the beauty. And and you said it there, you know, when you started to get that connection with higher power, that everything else just was you know, that fear, the mundane, or fear what people think just starts to fade away because I know if I can fill my void with a higher power that everything else is okay the cars come and go the money comes and goes the clothes yeah. whatever it is that I can put up on a pedestal and think is important in my life you know if I have connection with a higher power and a God you know everything else doesn't really matter like, no you know? exactly yeah and like no matter what you're faced with in life it's something that you can like always always have it's always there yeah. you know and um, so that's why it's 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 probably the most important thing in my life what's um what's the worst advice you've ever gotten 
the worst advice. Uh, well, like, <laughs> I've gotten plenty of advice from people in the pubs before when I was drinking with them mm-hmm. that were absolutely horrendous, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Telling you, you know, oh, sure, listen, like, why don't, you, why don't you have another? That's probably one of the, one of the worst advices. Uh, or, or, you know, um, but on a more serious level, um, I'd say, I'm trying to think now. I think, I, I guess if I was to do it on a deep level, it would probably be something, advice that I gave myself, you know, something that I, I told myself that I couldn't do, you know, like, you know, I, I, telling myself that I, I wasn't, I wasn't good enough in life or, you know, telling myself that, you know, I am destined to be unhappy and, you know, I'm not good at anything. I'm not good at sports. So I guess, you know, the only really bad advice I can think of is advice I've given to myself, you know, when I wasn't in a good place. Um, you know, I can't really pinpoint anything that I'm sure there's been like little, there's been, obviously, like I said, there's been small things in the past where someone told me to do something that, you know, like I said, like telling me to go and get a bag of Coke or something like that, you know, ring the dealer there, get him drop that another bag down or, you know, or, you know, telling me that, oh no, you should come out tonight, come out tonight, you know, you'll, you'll have fun, then I'll go out and an absolute mayhem happens on the weekend. But when I really think down to the, to the depths of it, you know, the worst advice I've ever done was telling myself that I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to be good enough at something, you know, because mm-hmm. then that's the one that, because like that, like, you know yourself, you only need one person to believe in yourself and that's, and that's you, you know? Yeah. Um. So when I wasn't believing in myself or I was putting myself down, you know, there's, there's no hope then, you know, I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be able to achieve something then if that's the case. And would you still have that inner critic that says that to you? Say it again, sorry. Would you still have like that inner cr- critic that... Oh yeah, yes, 100%. You know, I can get it in my career. You know, I can get it in my, um, I can still get it in my training, mm. you know. I can tell myself, oh, no, but you're not as good as that person, you know. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm looking looking at other people and going, but like, they, they just, they, they have this better than you. Like in my career, I'm in sales and stuff like that, you know. And so it's very targets driven. And if I'm looking at other people that are smashing their targets out of it, I'm like, maybe you're not good enough for this, Connor, you know. Um, that's when the likes of yourself and the, the people that I surround myself with, like, other members and you know my girlfriends and you know family you know who lifts me up you know that's why it's important i'm around them when i'm not feeling when i'm feeling less than and then i can get in touch with them and i say listen i'm i feel like i'm I, i've got a good friend phil as well mm. who i'd ring a lot and you know about the career stuff and um you know and i'm like oh my god i feel like i'm i'm just not good enough you know and uh he'll be there and you know we'll talk through it and you know after that i'll feel a lot better then you know so that's when I have to be open. But if I let my head tell me, if I let my head say, you know, you're not good enough at this, you're not good enough at that, or you're not going to succeed in this, and I don't say it to anyone, like then I, I, it's very difficult to get out of it. Then you know, because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm now consumed in it, and you know, I because that that's when I need help, you know. Um, but so yeah, that would uh, powerful man. That's beautiful. Okay, last question. What's your number one book recommendation? Uh, so there would be a few actually, but the one that I would say that has, there's, there's been, there's been definitely been a few that have, you know, brought a lot of good to my life, you know, um, like the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And then there's also, um, a book about panic attacks called the dare method. Um, and that helped me kind of, you know, cope my panic attacks and overcome them. In what way? Uh, so it's all about it kind of helps you when, when a panic attack is coming on it kind of teaches you ways to i think diffuse it accept it um i can't put the or and the e stand for but it's essentially you um say like okay uh so when you diffuse when you diffuse it you're kind of like oh okay well I'm having, and i know it sounds a bit, it's a bit weird but you're like okay i'm having a panic attack and you're kind of like then you accept it and uh, so what? Uh, like, so yeah, you think, oh, so what? Or here it comes again. You're kind of like, you're not letting it kind of like be this big thing. You're kind of saying, oh, okay. And then you accept it. And then um, I think E might be engaged with it. 
you know, and if like, if the panic attack's getting really, really bad, and I know this sounds mad once again, but if it's getting really, really bad, you uh, you pretty much are saying to it, like, come on, let's let's see what you have, you know, and like, mm. give me everything you got. And then you start to realize this isn't actually that bad, you know? Um, and um, so, yeah, that was really, really good for me. And it, the thing about the D.A.R.E. method is it, it goes into the different types of panic attacks that there is, you know, all the different variations, like, you know, ones of like you know, like in getting attacks in restaurants so i seem that, that that's something i always got was being in in restaurants because you somebody's... just hated paying the bill huh yeah. Hated... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. get that away from I, me well how much how much for a, yeah. for a cup again i'll be well gone before the bill came <laughs> um but all the there's all the different types and all the different body sensations because it talks about like the the fear of panic attacks are the body sensations that we have as well. Okay. So like you're yeah and, and it's all about feeling your body sensations out and stuff like that. So that was a really good one for me. But I'd say the number one because I know you're just looking for one. The number one would actually probably be Wim Hof's book. Oh wow! Really? I loved yeah. that man because that taught me loads about you know breathing techniques which i loved because i know his his wife as well you know obviously suffered with a lot of mental health issues and um he talks about he talked about like cold exposure and breathing exercises and i started i i actually do his breathing exercises most days mm. every single morning and every single morning i have a two minute cold shower um and uh you know that just has benefited my life so much that small it's part of my morning routine now my morning ritual is a two minute cold shower and then 10 minutes of Wim Hof breathing. Um, and I, it's, it's massive for me, you know, oh. it really sets me up. So I'd say that's probably the most number one. I'm a big fan of him. I think he's a, he's a really cool guy, you know, um, and it, it's definitely opened my eyes to um, the way he lives. And I think it's, you, you know, it, 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 I think the reason it's number one is how much it's benefited me. And I think the reason I'm putting it out as number one is I think that anyone, most people listening, could benefit from it you know the dare response is only something that when people that suffer from panic attacks alcoholics the big book of alcoholics anonymous is you know for alcoholics essentially but like you know i think wim hospital could be of benefit to, to anyone because anyone can practice yeah. the, the breathing exercises and the two minute cold check or cold exposure you know um so yeah i'd, I'd probably put his number one for that reason because it's for a broader range of audience savage man savage connor Man, I love the bones off you, bro. Thank yeah. you for the hope today, the inspiration, the love, the the companionship, and uh, man, you're just a you're just a, a legend. No, well, you're an absolute legend, man. Thank you. That's that's how I viewed you when I first came in. You know, I was like, this guy seems like a very cool lad. I'd like to be like him. So, and then you get to know me, and like, oh, I don't know that. No, I'm looking yeah. up at you, man. Yeah. But uh, yeah, man, and what a way to celebrate your five-year birthday. I know, yes. Trail run, man. So I've got to go collect my, collect my five-year badge oh. now tomorrow. Oh, I yes. wasn't able to get my hands on it. But um, so there we go. Yeah, looking forward to that. So what, a, nice. what a buzz, man. What yeah. a way. What, what a way, way to celebrate life. 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 Let's go. Thank yeah. you, brother. Yeah.